Hi everyone and welcome back to the Finding Your Freedom podcast. I'm so happy to have you guys here. Um, So for today I plan to have my second episode on my experience in New Orleans but we haven't had a guest episode in a while so I figured that would be better and I have the most amazing guest to share with you guys. I think men, women, anyone, (laughs) any gender will love this episode. It's it's so good. So I'll just give you guys a quick life update, talk a little bit about the episode, and get right into it. So yeah, as far as for me, I'm in Boston, still getting settled, and I start work on Monday. Um, yeah, Boston is great. Um, I think those are the only life updates at this moment besides, you know, everything that's happening in the world um, otherwise. And kind of speaking to that, this podcast was recorded about a month ago, maybe a little bit longer and none of this was happening, so I just want to give you that context before listening to the episode. Um, it's it's super interesting because we we talk a lot about systemic oppression in the episode and how angry both of us are about it and how we think that as a society we can all do better. So it was really interesting to re-listen to that and, yeah, realize that this was on everyone's mind before, you know, the protests and everything happened. And, yeah, I just really feel like this year is a time for us to to do better. So, yeah. And as far as me personally with this episode, I was in a place where... um I'd had a bad experience with a man and this episode for me was extremely healing for my own inner masculine, which you guys will hear more about in the episode. And as far as trusting men and I think it's really important that, you know, when something happens, it's it's one man, it's not all men. And yeah, really changing the mindset and the narrative on that is really, really important. So with that, I'm so excited to share this episode with you guys. And I think it will give a lot of insight into dating, masculinity, you know, things that are going on in the world right now with systemic oppression And yeah, it's just all around a really, really great episode. So I'm going to introduce today's guest. Stefano Sifados is a trained educator and relationship expert with a background in behavioral science. He is passionate about leading people closer to their highest potential in each other. Stefano's philosophy merges the best of Eastern and Western methodologies to promote spiritual balance, and empower people in life and love. From trauma release to navigating the murky waters of modern masculinity, 
to helping women understand the men in their lives. He helps people escape negative patterns and cultivate a positive sense of self. Stefanos has worked with thousands of men and women from all walks of life. Special Force soldiers, Olympic gold medalists, elite fighters, and everyday people have relied on him to restructure and reframe their relationships with themselves and their loved ones. Yeah, so I'm going to get into the episode. Enjoy. Okay, so the first question that I ask everyone, um, since it's called the Finding Your Freedom podcast, is what have you been finding your freedom from lately? I have been finding my freedom from anger lately. I've been feeling a great deal of anger, and as I've been unpacking that anger, I shouldn't say a great deal, it's been more periodic, but as I've been unpacking that anger, largely in response or probably reaction to what's happening in the world. Um, I've realized that the anger is more of a secondary emotion and it's been masking deep sadness that I'm experiencing in relation to what's happening to the world. And I've also discovered that that anger is a primary emotion too. And it's a combination of both. And it's, I've gone into the rabbit hole of deciphering, uh, which parts are which and, and what am I really hiding from and what am I masking and what's it a secondary emotion for? And so I've been going into that place and that's been quite freeing to really understand myself at a deeper level in, in certain sometimes of uncertainty as we are experiencing now as a global collective. Yeah. What was the anger specifically about with the pandemic? In systemic injustice. Uh, the fact that we, as a as a collective, our from my perspective, our priorities as a humanity aren't aren't in alignment with our potential and what we're capable of and what we're capable of creating, uh, not only collaboratively but you know as individuals as well. And observing the way that we've reacted as a as a collective and the the ignorance and the the panic and the rea- and the reactiveness itself the erraticness of that um we haven't really been prepared for this and we haven't largely been prepared for it because our focus as a collective has been on values certain values such as economic growth at the expense of other important values such as health such as welfare such as creating greater equity and equilibrium in our societies such as prioritizing education prioritizing uh, the, the medical system and so forth. And so, I mean, I don't, obviously don't want to get into a geopolitical conversation unless you want to, of course, but the, the anger was coming from that we could fucking do better as a humanity and we're not. And so there was that. And there was also then some sadness and some fear. Okay. So where do we go now? And there are people suffering. I'm not just talking about COVID-19. I'm talking about people have been suffering for a long, long time. 
largely because of the way that our culture and our socioeconomic constructs have been created. And that part of that is, oh, in order to have freedom and free will and free speech and entrepreneurship or enterprise, you know, we have to have some people that are in poverty. It's like, look, fucking really? Like, we really, we're really, that's where we're at? Like, that's where we're at now? Like, that's... <laughs> So it's been that. It's the anger around that and the frustrations around that and the, the, the snowball effect that's been coming from that. And just thinking as well, okay, well, it's great to identify here are some issues, but what could be some solutions? So I've been going into what are plausible solutions, which I've been doing for many, many years internally within myself and discussions in my own groups and even publicly as well. What does that look like? Is it feasible? You know, for example, not the not the common understanding of a technocracy, but the the what I would say not the mainstream version of a technocracy, but or a technocratic society, but an alternative version that isn't necessarily influenced by um, humans or human endeavour to the point where we're susceptible to greed and corruption and so forth, or easily easily being influenced, but more technology looking at objectively based on a set of principles and precepts of course that are, are created by humans uh, values and principles that are more equitable and then we we allow technology to to search for okay well, what does that look like for example if we're looking at extracting resources and we're looking at distribution of energy because energy is a big thing if we have access to energy we have access to creation and a higher standard of living less people are in poverty and so forth there's a massive positive snowball effect with that how do we distribute energy like how do we distribute um, and and how do we source energy in the, in the most renewable way without causing damage to our earth which is our our home and also has a finite carrying and caring capacity and so i've just been going into all of that and and, and a lot more as well yeah, I think even before the pandemic, when this year started, I think this is like, has always been on my mind. Um, but with this year starting, it was, the anger was was setting in more about it, because I really do believe we can do better. And I was re-listening to some of the podcasts that you were on and um, just thinking more about trauma and thinking more about how it runs in families and how there's also all of this systemic oppression and how it we just need to stop the cycle in so many of these families and that it's not that it is possible but we're making it to be impossible and there's just so much trauma in you know I mean there's trauma in every class but so much trauma in the lower economic you know, classes, whatever you want to call them. And it, it just makes me so sad because I feel like it's so, it's so possible to heal that and stop that for the next generation and get them, you know, out of poverty. And we're just not providing mental health resources and all of these things that would be needed to provide that. And it, you know, it makes me angry and it makes me deeply sad that we're not doing that. Yeah. I I, I think, we're not doing it to the effect that we could. And I, I really resonate with what you're saying. It's, it's, and I wonder if a pandemic such as this is an opportunity. Well, I don't wonder. I know it is an opportunity for us to do more with the, the tools that we have access to internally and externally 
and it's whether we're going to, or we're going to rely on old processes and old resources and old ways of doing things and being to essentially band-aid solution a problem or an issue that we're facing as opposed to looking at the systemic constructs behind it. And you're right, you know, generational trauma is a big thing and there's a lot of trauma being created right now in the individual and the family dynamic and communities and society and countries in, in the world. And, you know, the other side of that is that the, the earth is healing in a, well, not healing so much, but recovering from intense industrialization. Um, which is really interesting to see how quickly actually it is recovering or it is uh, equilibrating, you know, cleaning, cleaning itself up, which is a really beautiful thing to see as well, which I think, again, gives us insight into how we do life, how we do life socioeconomically and from an industrial perspective as well. And could we make some changes there? And what do those changes look like and feel like? Yeah, I think this time has brought up like just really intense polarity of emotions, like really intense mm beautiful moments have come from this and then really intense um, sad moments and I think this might be a little bit of a Mm -hmm. tangent but I I remember I watched a Discovery Channel documentary that was like 25 years or something like that and it was basically saying that the earth if all the humans left that the earth could recover in 25 years completely from everything that we've done (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is you know crazy to think about um but yeah, I think there's just, there's been intense anger and sorrow and fear. And then there have been some really beautiful things that have come out of this. And I really hope from this, we move in a better direction. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think, I think Bernie dropping out of the race, not to get too political, but um, that was really a blow to making the radical change that I think we really need. Um, but I'm I'm still hopeful and I will always be hopeful that we can make a change. And I think that movement has inspired a lot of younger people to really get involved and that, you know, being involved in science doesn't mean you're not involved in politics or being involved in spirituality mm-hmm. doesn't mean you can't be involved in politics. Like they're all one and the same and we're all we're all fighting for love. We're all fighting fighting for equality and equity. And I think there are people that you know, want to be a part of that change. So I'm hopeful that moving forward, we can really make the changes that need to happen. I think some are being made now, at a, again, at a collective level and definitely at an individual level, you know, people are really waking up and, and saying, I think I want more from life. I, I think I deserve more from life. I think I can give myself more. I think I can go a little deeper. I, I feel I, I'm starting to notice these patterns that were easily masked before when I was, you know, quote unquote busy, when I was distracting myself with greater ease. And now that I can't really do that, I can't distract myself like I used to. I'm noticing these things that I'm really not completely happy with and I want to make some changes. I think, I think change or systemic change or meaningful transformation comes in two ways. It comes from a grassroots level and it comes from a top-down approach. And that can be... Uh, an example in the in the greater society and that can be in the individual as well it can come from making tangible everyday changes within ourselves with which, which is grassroots and then the top-down approach is the maybe the faculties in our brain the 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 faculties that that have control and autonomy and sovereignty and so forth and are making more philosophical decisions and making more values-based decisions and identifying the personal ethos that we want to live by 
and in a society it's it's government and leadership making radical change or just making change and then the people at an individual level you know, promoting and speaking to that change as well and so the the we're sort of meeting in the middle and i think that's really useful when it comes to any form of transformation taking that approach yeah i mean i think personally just in the past even two years i've seen a change in the individual and people you know getting more curious about their mental health about spirituality about transformation and i i think we are moving in a positive direction and it it really does start with the individual and then getting individuals that have done the work to become our top-down leaders. Mm. Yeah, it's a very good point. It's, it's about getting them there, unfortunately, because politics and even corporate leadership, there's a, a very specific culture and a way that people need to be in order to gain, for the most part, in, in order, and I'm generalising, of course, to gain specific leadership positions. It makes it more challenging, however, not impossible. Yeah, I was going to go into your story now, but since we're we're talking about the quarantine and everything, I was just going to ask how how has this shifted your work kind of in relational dynamics during this time and dating and how how has this all really changed relationships? It it hasn't changed my work per se. I I am continuing to focus deeply on building, creating healthy, sustainable quality relationships within the self and within things that matter to people and and romantic partnerships and intimate partnerships and intimate relationships as well. How it has changed for most people that are either, well, it depends what, what, you know, what bucket you sort of place yourself in. Are you dating? Are you in a long-term relationship? Are you in a relationship but you live apart? Are you long-term? Are you sort of, sorry, are you long-distance? Um, if that's the case and there wasn't maybe that much difference, but the thing is you can't travel now and see each other. So people, those are some of the challenges people are because human connection, physical human connections are very real thing. It's a very biological thing. It's a very needed thing. We need that to make assessment of who's right and who's quote unquote wrong for us, what we're attracted to, what we're magnetized towards. And so navigating those waters has its challenges, but it also has its benefits. And we're getting to know people at a deeper level without physical contact. When I had the experience of getting to know my wife that way, we knew we were going to meet in, you know, you know, in a few months from when we were introduced by friends. And so we, we created a virtual relationship because we knew we were going to meet. And it was a friendship at the beginning. And that friendship flourished, of course. And, but we got to know each other at a deeper level, at an emotional level, and we got to know who we were at our core some very important things about us, like our fears, our family dynamics, our our aspirations, our goals, our dreams, our triggers, our pain points, our traumas. We we got to know what made us tick because we didn't have that hormonal interjection of of being distracted by the the hormones, which is not a bad thing, right? But it is, it is, it's a, it's a primal uh, directive within us within at a genetic level. It's, it's our need for procreation and it drives, it comes from our, the older parts of our brain and it drives so much of who we are, right? And not always, of course, and there's a secondary mechanism, which is the bonding mechanism, and that integrates as well, but that's not as powerful as that, that, pro, that need to procreate and what that does for us in terms of the unconscious cues that we, that we live by and how we're attracted to people. And we don't, we don't have that physical connection because that's where we evolve from. 
it, it causes a rift in, in our ability to analyze and our ability to, to assess and feel safe. And so there's those complications that people are, are, are facing, but there's also opportunities in those complications. And that is, okay, we have this verbiage, we have this verbal construct that we've created over hundreds of thousands of years. Well, let's take advantage of that now. Let's get to know each other through, through verbiage, through asking very key questions that evoke specific emotions and relational states that get us, that help us understand, is this person in alignment with me? Do we share similar values? Are we interested in uh, cultivating and creating a healthy, long-term, sustainable relationship or do we want different things? And so, we, you know, people are, people are asking more serious questions. They're, there's less bullshit and more, okay, this is to the point. Not in a forceful way, but just in a way of, hey, this is, I'm getting clear on what I want. I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste my time. Hey, what do you want? And so I'm seeing all of that and helping people navigate those waters as well, which is cool. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's true. And kind of like everything, the quarantine, there's like a lot of good and then a lot of, um, a lot of struggles with mm. dating in that time. And mm. I guess me personally, I'm single and I live alone. So it's mm. been a lot of just being alone. And, yeah. you know, I feel like a lot of the ways that I met people and interacted in the world where, you know, coffee shops and mm. restaurants and just meeting people in real life. And yeah, I don't know. The, <laughs> the dating app world is very strange um, right now. It, it, it is. Very, it was strange from the beginning. Again, it was strange because uh, fuck for so many reasons, because it's not, <laughs> it's not natural. It's not, it, you know, it's a means, it's a tool. My number one advice for was, Two, two points of advice is one, be completely clear and transparent what you want on a dating app. And number two, get off the dating app and meet in person as soon as you possibly can. And there, there are steps to follow to do that, but it's a tool and it's a great tool for connection like social media is. But if you can get into physical contact, particularly with a dating app, right? It's important and for people like yourself that live alone and that are, that are single and that, do you want to be in a relationship or are you, are you happy being where you are or your combination of both? I, I guess a combination of both. I'm yeah. in a place where. Are you receptive I, and open to being in a relationship? Yeah, I'm open to being yeah. in a relationship. I think I'm I'm in a place where I've tried to just, um, quote, have fun. And I've gotten mm. so many signs and signals and intuitive hits that that's not working. With, yeah. yeah, just with the growth I've done in myself, it just ends up making me hurt and it's not mm. it's it's not working and i've i've yeah. tried to make it work and it's yeah. not <laughs> so yeah, it's challenging yeah. what, i think i think what people are finding that are in, in your position or very similar positions where you're quite clear on what you want with this quarantine is that they're yearning for connection and intimacy and touch and, and, and so, so am I. I mean, I live my wife, but we're both yearning for connection from our friends as well, not just from each other. I mean, we love each other deeply. We're very connected. We can spend all day and all night together. And we're pretty, you know, that's okay. Like we don't, I still want my space and, and Christine would want her space as well. But we, we're very aware of all that. And we, 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 we have that. We give each other the space when we need it, as we need it. However, it's still, there's a yearning for, for tribe and community, right? And, and so some of the biggest challenges are, 
people are coming really face to face with themselves because again, there's less distraction. Not that being in tribe and communities is a distraction, well, it can be, and it's also very healthy. However, there's more alone time, there's more self time. And I think in, in those times, we've got one of really one of two options. We either acquaint ourselves with these new aspects of ourselves that we've been hiding from or we just haven't been acquainted with, or we revert to unconscious, unhealthy behavior, such as numbing, such as drugs, alcohol, you know, delinquent behavior, whatever it may be that keeps us away from our emotions, keeps us away from feeling whatever it is that we are being asked to feel. And the opportunity comes in actually feeling that stuff and being really present and open to it because there's a lot of growth that comes from that, but freedom, there's a lot of freedom that comes from that. Yeah, I've, I've found within myself being, I, I guess, more impulsive um, and just this deep, you know, yearning for connection. And when I actually see someone out in the open, it's like, I don't know the next time I'm going to see someone or talk to someone. So it's like, I want to hold on to that moment. And I think the impulsive nature, you know, like you said before, it's partly biological, um, just wanting to bond and wanting to connect and, you know, other hormonal things with people. And it's just been very, a very interesting transition. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, the difficult part is, the uncertainty is the when there's no, there's no real finish line. The goalposts keep being moved. So that makes it challenging for, for people as well. But again, the, the other side of that is the opportunity to go deeper into self-compassion, self-love, self-care, resilience, mental and emotional toughness, um, understanding self, witnessing and seeing the parts of self that you haven't been able to see before. So there's a lot of beauty that comes with this as well. Yeah, I've definitely had the opportunity to go really deeply into my fears and then mm. into shame that I thought I had let go of during this mm. time. So mm. it's been it's been a really um just a really intense time with all of the fear coming up yeah. and then shame that I thought I thought I had worked through. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I was feeling some shame the uh, the other day. It just came up. There was no specific reason, but it really came up because I was exploring some emotions and I was sifting through the anger and the sadness and then shame popped up that had been buried there for a while and had to deal with it. And shame is very debilitating for any human being. It's a debilitating emotion, particularly for men. There's various reasons for that. And it's a, it's a, it's a nasty one and it really it's paralyzing. Shame is paralyzing. Um, in so many different ways and it's a tremendous gateway to self greater levels of self-realization and freedom as well where we don't feel that pressure on us anymore to have to be a certain way it can once we alleviate shame we increase our self-worth we feel better about who we are we feel more confident in the world we're more transparent in our relationships we feel lighter in our being emotionally and physically definitely um Sorry. Um, and I guess from there, it'd be a good time to kind of transition into your story and kind of how you got into this work. Um, yeah. How your life experience kind of led you here. Yes, yeah, so I've been, I've been involved in the personal development, personal growth space, personal transformation space since from a very young age. 
my mother exposed me to it. Um, that was, you know, one of the really beautiful things of my childhood. Had many uh, turbulent and traumatic things in my childhood, as many people have experienced. One of them was, though, this exposure to diverse spirituality and different ways of being in the world outside of the mainstream. So I formed a very, very quick, holistic, alternative view of the world um, in different ways from, from a very early age. And you know, I've been in this industry, serving and giving and working in this industry, you know, in, in the health and wellness, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, since the age of 18, 19, 37 now. So it's been some time. That's morphed over the years dramatically. And more recently, probably about six years ago, was when I really got clear on what I was here to do and how I was here to do that and be that person in the world. And I knew that whatever it was I wanted to do, I had to be. And that's what I wasn't doing for so long. I wasn't being, basically. I wasn't in integrity and I was not living to what I was speaking to or preaching or, or, or being in the world. I was living in masks and facade and, and shadows. And about six years ago, I was in a relationship with a woman. It was a long-term relationship. And she found out that I was unfaithful in that relationship. And, and that became a catalyst for me looking at my behaviours and my wounding and my trauma and my childhood and my relationship to my parents at a deeper level. I'd already started exploring that um, through my other degree in uh, background in behavioural science and social psychology and so forth. I'd, I'd been exploring that for years, but just never, just in the shallows because I was just too scared to go deep and I would make excuses. I just was unwilling. But this, this breakup, this unravelling was... Um, a massive catalyst for me. And I chose to go really, really deep in everything I was doing. Um, and it was life transformative. I got very clear. I got very open. I shifted a great deal. Um, you know, I went through a lot of pain and challenge, including thoughts of uh, you know being suicidal and, and um, not knowing who I was anymore, losing friends, being nearly bankrupt, uh, being in massive debt losing my community, my identity, ego deaths in many different ways. And, but it was a path that I was willing to take and I knew what I was undertaking. You know, I sought external help, counsellors, psychologists, shamans, spiritual healers, energy healers, psychiatrists. Like I, I, went, I went deep. I really did went deep because this, this triggered something in me. What, again, a lot of shame, a lot of old stuff came up and core wounding came up and it just became a catalyst to, to explore myself. And as I explored myself, I just got really clear on how I wanted to serve in the world and what I was doing, which didn't really change, but I changed within myself and therefore my service changed. And therefore my, the way I was being in the world changed as well. And so I just, I went down that path and I was just committed to it, full stop. I didn't, didn't doubt it, didn't doubt myself, had, um, had a, an un, unwavering, clearness in my mind and heart yeah I think from listening just to other podcasts and just the way you described that experience now you just you have like a really beautiful way of describing that experience which I have also experienced something similar and it's it's so hard to describe it to someone that hasn't experienced it when you kind of have that that moment where you have to choose changing or staying the same and being miserable and and pain for the rest of your life. And when you choose that everything, you know, it's like everything moves at hyper speed and you don't know who you are anymore. And everything that you thought was true in your world isn't true. And 
you know, there's a lot of deep sadness and losing Mm. friends and money and feeling hopeless. And I I really, I didn't know what I was getting into. (laughs) Um, But I don't for a second regret going there because it's, it's shifted my life in the most profound ways Mm. kind of in your case as well on getting clear on what my mission is in this world and how I want to show up and who I want to be and who I want to be surrounded by. And I just have so much compassion for before that and how I lived my life. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's crazy how much you can change when you have that commitment to yourself and really go into all of, all of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and then with that, I'm gonna gonna pivot slightly um, and kind of get more into talking about you know conscious masculinity and conscious relationships. Um, so I guess my audience is you know kind of at varying levels in this work. So what what does conscious masculinity mean to you? There's two there's two components to Firstly, masculinity resides within femininity and masculinity are energetics. It's polarity. It's two sides of the same coin. And it resides, this energetic resides within both of us. So the masculine energy is a giving energy. It's a go energy. It's a doing energy. It's an exclusive energy. The feminine energy is more of a receiving energy, a, a, a flow energy, a being energy and an inclusive energy. And so, and I'll give some examples of that in a moment, but conscious masculinity specifically comes in, in two ways for me. It's, it's, and if we relate it to, for simplicity's sake, if we look at masculinity within men, and I am of the belief that, see, we have core expressions, core energetic expressions, masculine or feminine. And I am of the belief that um, whilst masculinity and femininity is not exclusively linked to gender in any capacity, gender does play a role. Um, our brains are slightly different as males and females. Our hormonal profiling is slightly different as males and females. Our evolutionary upbringing and what we've been responsible for has been different. And that has shaped much of what we, what we consider to be masculine and feminine energetics or even characteristics. And so there's a connection there. There's a link there right, to biology, to some degree at least. So if we look at a masculine man, for me, conscious masculinity is about being aware of oneself and aware of one's actions and one's thoughts, one's entire being. But when we break it down in two ways, it's what does it mean to be good at being a man and what does it mean to be a good man? And they're two distinctions. The latter is more subjective and culturally orientated. And the former is a little more grounded in our evolution. Um, biology, it's, you could say it's slightly more objective. I think it's very important um, for men to look at that. And, and again, women can look at that in terms of cultivating their own sense of masculinity as well because the energetic of masculinity is very much connected to this aspect of self. And so what it means to be good at being a man is we, we look at, uh, five precepts or um, the best way to put it five five ways of being in the world 
And so I'm going to um, I'm going to elaborate on what that what that looks like and what that means. And so in um, in my in my journey called the the conscious man, I, I identify these these five five ways of being. Now, originally they're not they're not mine. They're not my five ways of being. There's um, they're from a gentleman called uh, Jack. Jack, what's his name? Oh. Oh, I've forgotten his name. Jack, you can tell me. You can tell well, me later. Well, well, <laughs> Jack. Anyway, uh, Jack Donovan. Jack Donovan, and he has he has, see he calls these tactical virtues, but he only has four tactical virtues. I knew it would come to me. And um, I've added a fifth. And I think the fifth is very important because we've also evolved that way as well. You know, contrary to popular belief, men, yes, we're very individualized and we, we like our solitude and so forth. But we also, we also work in groups and we work well in groups as well in teams. Generally, just larger teams, that's all. Um, but anyway, that's another conversation. But let me, let me get into these tactical virtues because this is part of conscious masculinity. So there's strength. There's courage, there's mastery, there's honor, and I've added connectivity to that as well. I think it's really important because the connectivity piece is us binding and bonding together as a humanity because we are relational social beings. And having proficiency and efficacy in this area, our ability to connect and communicate and be intimate with other human beings is very, very important um, uh, part of masculinity and part of, you know, we as men, we want to be... Um, we want to be held accountable, but we also want to be active. You know, and masculinity is an active energy, but we also want to be, we also want to be needed. We also want to carry utility in what we do. And, and part of our being connected and intimate tribe, it helps with that. It helps with us adding value to, to the, the world that we live in. So strength is, is the component. It's not just physical strength, although that's a big part of it, because again, we've evolved and grown to be, men that have required us to use our strength we've been we've been for the large part of humanity we've been responsible for setting the perimeter being out in the environment um, hunting carrying physical strength uh, within our being to to build shelter and so forth we've been responsible for that we've required a great deal of courage because we've had to be in the unknown now women have as well of course just in different ways we've been in volatile environments more so so We've had to develop a courage and a yearning to go forward and to keep exploring and expanding. We've had to carry mastery as well. So whether that's building tools, whether that's building shelter, whether that's being creative with how we extend and protect, extend the perimeter and protect our, the space that we're occupying. And we've had to have honor amongst our brethren and amongst our communities. We've had to be trustworthy because if we haven't been trustworthy, we haven't been safe. And if we haven't been safe, we haven't been effective. And every man and every and part of the masculine energetic is to be effective. We want to be effective. And so, the, and, and I've already explained the connectivity piece. So that's a big part of, of what it means to be a conscious man. On the, on the note of effectiveness, being a conscious, conscious man is, is important in, in the sense that we also, we also have purpose. Now, when I say purpose, I'm, I'm specifically speaking to, um, I'm specifically speaking to, who we are in the world and why we are in the world. And this is, this is really, really important. And it's not just men are the only ones that have purpose. It's, we all have purpose per se, 
it's, it's a masculine and energetic though, because it's connected to completion. It's connected to goal and objective orientation. That's how we've problem solved. That's how we've, we've learned a lot as we've evolved. So there's, again, this connection to biology, connection to maleness, connection to masculinity. And so having a, a clarity of who we are in the world and how and who we want to be in the world is very important to our, our deeper sense of self. And it, just, it helps us grow. And so conscious masculinity is about balancing all that as well. I think any for conscious femininity is as well. It's about balancing that because the shadow expression is we become too obsessed with our purpose or we become too obsessed with mastering something or we become too obsessed with, uh, you know, strength in our physical body, for example, to the detriment of other important values, such as other aspects of our health or family or tribe. Or become too obsessed with status because a lot of the time we identify with status and titles in the world um, and resourcefulness, our ability to be resourceful and access to resources. Again, these are primal attractive measures, whereas for women, it's more aesthetic and beauty, but also our, a woman's ability to be nimble and adaptive as well as very attractive. So again, not, not to go too deep into, um, into all that, but that resourcefulness is very important. And the shadow expression of that is that we incessantly pursue status and, and resources and wealth at the expense of our integrity or our health or our trustworthiness. And so it's, it's part of conscious masculinity striking that balance. I know that's a, a fairly long-ish answer, but I'll try to be as succinct as I was to help clarify it. Because it's a very complex, you know, people think it's just simple, you know. It's, it's, really, it's really not. It's, it, it is and it isn't. There's, there's a great deal of complexity, meaning layers. There's layers to this that we need to unpack. And it's not as it's not as black and white as what some people might think. Yeah. So how does vulnerability play into conscious masculinity? In in a couple of ways. So an important for me, an important precept or principle, tenet of of masculinity is self-reliance. We have to be self-reliant. But again, not to the detriment that we isolate ourselves from people that we love and that we care for and that care about us. And so if we're faced with a problem or, or a challenge, say we're feeling shame about something, about a memory that came up when we were younger, maybe we were physically abused and now we're feeling shame around that. We don't know how to be with that. And we're in a partnership. Maybe we have a, we're in an intimate romantic partnership and the shame comes up. We want to do our best to deal with that first on our, by, with ourselves in a healthy way. Create some solitude, do some journaling, reflect on it, be with it. If after a period of time, and you'll know when, with the more self-awareness and you have, you'll know when, bring that to your brethren. So bring that to your brothers. Bring that to men because men, there's a familiarity there. There's less pressure almost to, because men want to impress women. Again, this is, these are innate biological traits. This isn't a, a 90s fad, cultural fad that was developed in the 1990s or 2000s. This is primal within us. And this is linked, again, to primal brain function around procreation. And, and mating, essentially, right? We don't even know about this. We're just very unconscious within us. But we want to impress women. We want to be a woman's hero culturally in every single way, in every single way. And so sometimes there's shame and then shame laid upon shame and embarrassment to bring that to our partner. So we want to bring that to men and help healthy men that can give us healthy reflections and challenge us and pull us forward. And once we've dealt with the really deep emotions, absolutely be vulnerable with, with that, with your partner. But often the feminine will struggle to, to be with that um, or you will struggle to express in a way that is healthy with the feminine because she can't hold those very big emotions that, that men come, sometimes carry. And so it's very important that you clarify that so you're not leaky, watery, and also vomiting 
these emotions. It doesn't mean that you don't be vulnerable. It doesn't mean you don't share. You could very well share and say, hey, darling, look, I'm, I'm going through some stuff at the moment and I'm unpacking it. I'm not sure what it is and I will talk to you about it soon. However, right now I need to be with it first. I need to go through my process and I'll come to you with it. And I, I anticipate that to be in you know, the next few hours or the next few days or the next week or whatever. But give, give that, give that, give that very clear communication because that's an important part as well. And so vulnerability plays an important role because vulnerability also opens us up, opens us up to not hiding our emotions and not getting stuck in secondary emotions such as anger because we're too afraid to feel sadness and fear and disappointment or shame. And instead of getting angry, um, we can actually feel those core feelings that are there to teach us something. So vulnerability is important, but vulnerability needs to begin with self. There's no point in just being vulnerable for the fucking sake of being vulnerable because it's a fad. It's just a waste of time and it's, a, it's completely useless. And if anything is going to do more damage in your relationship. So being vulnerable is very, very important, but it has to be with self. In other words, you've got to acknowledge what you're feeling first and, and begin to at least understand it and feel it, go through a process of feeling it before you bring that to someone else, because that's why the self-reliance piece is important because they, they're not going to be able to necessarily take that because it's going to be a very confusing expression and sometimes very volatile and intense. And then the person may feel threatened because their wounds are being triggered. So instead of actually holding your vulnerability, they're in shock or they're in fear because you're too intense or you're too, you're too confusing. And then it becomes an issue of, oh, you're not hearing me. Now I'm confusing. Oh, you're too intense. And then there's fear, meeting fear. So vulnerability plays a role, but there's going to be some strategy to it. Yeah, I wanted to ask about with that as well, more like I guess flipping it of women sharing vulnerably and then the man being defensive and kind of how to work with that. Just in my personal experience, I like my father is very um, defensive. Anytime that I talk to him about anything to do with emotions, it's immediately, it's my fault, it's my problem, it's too many emotions. So yeah, I definitely have experience with that. And haven't been, you know, sure of how, how to deal with defensiveness. Mm, this is tough. So often with defensiveness, we, we can't change the other people. So if you keep bringing, see, one of the reasons why you're bringing these emotions to dad is because part of you, parts of you, of your psyche want that approval and want to be seen by dad and want to be witnessed by dad. You don't, you don't, you want to be witnessed by the masculine and you want to be held by the masculine. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a beautiful thing. But if your father's incapable of doing that, you can't force him. And, and, but what we think is if we keep doing the same thing, eventually it will, you know, he, he'll change. He'll change. And he probably won't. He can change, can, but he probably won't unless he really wants to. And for him, to give you some insight into him, he feels, he, he feels he's failed. Now, he, may, he may not be conscious of that, but he feels he's let you down. He's not your hero. And if he's not your hero because you're coming to him with a problem, therefore he, may, he hasn't done his job. And these, are the, these are the unconscious parts, right? He wants to go into fix-it mode. It's a biological impulse and a cultural impulse, but he wants to go into fix-it mode. And so his way could be deterring or making you wrong or shaming you or letting you know that it's your thing and you can fix it, just do this, stop talking about it, or whatever his solutions are, right? Whereas all he probably really needs to do is say, darling, I really hear you and appreciate you coming to me is what do you need me to do what, what do you want from me or how can i help you and just really be actively listening which would help you probably feel nurtured but what can you do is probably stop going to him 
because you're just continuing to be disappointed. And it's that little girl that is crying for help and is asking for daddy, see me, dad, see me. And I think now as an adult, uh, Madeline, you need to be that little girl's support and you need to be her inner masculine. You need to be the inner masculine for her and hold her through her emotion and go to people that do see you and support structures that do hold, that can hold you. That doesn't mean you have to distance yourself from that. It just means that you're not playing into this pattern, this cycle of victim anymore because, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess in the fall, I stopped going to him stopped going to both of my parents really with um, emotions. And it was, it was like, I, I had my own ego death before then, but then it was like, in a way, like the death of the parents that I, that I wanted yeah. the death of yeah. my dad being my hero. And we had a lot of conflict last summer because I felt like to an extent I was doing really well and I had really found my, my purpose and my mission and, my dad was, I think he was jealous and intimidated. And like you said, mm. felt like he failed me and he wasn't my hero anymore. So that's really, it's really healing and really insightful to kind of think, to think of it in that way. Yeah, and he's hurting too in his way, you know, just most men can't hold that. And that's not an excuse for his behavior. It's not at all. But you have to take responsibility. You're the common denominator in your life. We all are. And if you just keep going back, you're feeding into that pattern and clearly you're not now you made some changes and you probably feel better within yourself and maybe the relationship's strained or it's distant but that can equilibrate itself the deeper work you do on you you know you don't always have to yeah it takes two to tango and when both parties come to the party it helps but that's not always necessary either you think in the dynamic in a relationship i know you can't change people but do you kind of take the stance of if they're defensive don't deal with that like don't deal with that treatment or like what is your kind of response i guess in relationships well, on that? depends on the individual circumstances of course um but making it less about the other person more about yourself helps break down the walls of defensiveness so for example if if i'm in a relationship and i'm angry at the way christine is doing something maybe she's um you know making dinner and not making dinner for me as well and she's always doing this she's only thinking about herself if I go to her and I say, hey, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why are you so selfish? Why aren't you thinking of me? Like, she's just going to become defensive, right? But if I sit her down and I ask her, first is, hey, can I talk to you about something that's really important to me? Um, you know, can we make some time for that? When's good for you? And she says, hey, look, now or in a couple of hours. Sure, that, that works for me. But, you know, we make that time. And I sit down and I look at her in, in the eyes and I front face her because that's a very important biological cue. Like you and I are front facing right now. Like I'm not like that and I hold her hand I look her in the eyes and I say look I've noticed um, something something the way I'm feeling right because I'm taking ownership of my feelings and the way I'm feeling is that when lately I've noticed this pattern of you making dinner and um, you're not making dinner for me and what it's how it's making me feels I feel like a, I'm being let down again I feel like I'm a little kid and my, my, my dad and my mum were just not paying attention to me they didn't care about me and so it's making me feel these things and I just want to let you know that and I don't want to project that on you but I just want to you know I need to let you know that's how I'm feeling so you know we make it more about this as an example right make it more about us as opposed to the other that that breaks down defensiveness now if that if the continual 
that continual approach, that sincere approach doesn't break down defensiveness, then another conversation has to be had about values alignment and, you know, what type of relationship you want and setting healthy boundaries and healthy no's and healthy yeses. But the mistake most people make is we make it about them. And so we're blaming and shaming and projecting. And people are going to become even more naturally defensive because they're not being seen. And often if they're doing that, there's a legitimate reason or that they're literally just ignorant to it and unaware of it. Definitely. It's, it's just the art of effective communication and uh, yeah. taking ownership of your feelings, but you know, not hiding your feelings from the other person because then they're just going to project and come out in other ways as well. Mm. Um, so for someone that's kind of just starting to get into this work and wants to, you know, create more conscious relationships, what do you think are, you know, some of the first steps, like getting clear on what you actually want or what are your thoughts on that? On Definitely getting clear on what you want and you can get clearer, clearer on what you want by, you know, doing some deeper inner work around your childhood, any wounding or trauma that you've experienced, any challenges or difficulty that you've experienced, you know, knowing what your values are, knowing what's important to you, uh, definitely having clarity around what you want in a relationship or what you can offer and what you can bring. Looking at your own patterns, patterns can be difficult to look at because we're often more concerned with the wound, the arrow, you know, as opposed to the, um, the, the, the wound or the, where the arrows come from. But the patterns are important. So get some support, you know, see a counsellor. Even if you think, oh, I don't really have anything that's going on right now, seek someone. Seek someone that can give you insight into who you are and see what you can't see, an external objective vantage point of perspective and that can mirror to you. So I would definitely, that, that's definitely going to help starting on your journey and attracting people that are more aligned with who you are. Definitely. And I, I think just in my community, I'm like surrounded by a lot of strong, powerful, purposeful mm. women. And I, I'm a decent amount younger than you. And I, I just, I hear often just from friends, like the expression, like men are trash, which is so harmful and so harmful harmful. and I just I really just I guess with this question I want to talk about like how can we how can we stop that narrative and create this this sacred union and bring men and women together while also you know acknowledging um some of the real really real wounds that women have and the real Mm. wounds that men have and Mm. Yeah, like how, how to start with repairing that. Well, women need to continue doing their inner work with women because that's a, there's a familiarity there and men need to continue and expand their inner work with men, men's groups and men's circles and so forth, being connected to nature, being out there and doing men's work, whatever that looks like, before we can really come together. And that's not to separate or segregate each other. That's to honour our differences and celebrate and, and the harmonisation of our differences. They're not a threat. They need to be something that's threatening. That's very important. Um, and then people, uh, particularly women, um, this is a really beautiful thing that I've been noticing the last couple of years, actually, the compassionate open hearts and the non-judgment of women that are coming forward and saying, we forgive you, we love you, we honour you, we honour our men, we honour the masculine within ourselves and outside of us, we honour the masculine within our men. And having women just powerful voices just standing up for that truth and that's calling men forward and inspiring men to remember um, men, men have a fear of letting their women down 
um, and not being their hero. And when they hear that, it inspires them to step up to greatness, to their potential. So we need more of that. That's going to help. And then we can come together and sit in, in, in co-collaborative circles um, and share and create and, uh, and be the new, the new light for the, for the new world. That's for sure. Yeah, I think it's it's just hard in, you know, the world we live in now and the the Me Too and all of these things, I guess, to move forward with that. And I, I think it's really important um for women. It you know, that was one that was one man. That's not all men. And correct to to be able to you know, designate it in that way and to feel your feelings, but not project it to a whole gender that is yeah, not responsible for one man's actions. That's right. That's a very important part of it. Absolutely. Definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess we're almost at time and I I feel like we've covered a lot and I really I've loved talking about all of this with you and really this like repairing the union thing is really important to me. Do you have anything, I guess, else to say about that or what specifically the women's work is when we're gathering just as women to start to repair that? Just honoring, honoring the, the value of the masculine, honoring the value of the masculine within themselves and outside of themselves and honoring men and, you know, what we pay attention to, where attention goes, energy flows. And so bringing the attention to the value and the, the amazing men in their lives um, and the masculine and, and creating and, and attracting real-world examples of that and just the, the, the compassion and non-judgment that you, that you have as a, as a woman, as a divine feminine is so valuable for us as men it's so liberating and it's so inspiring and we love that um and we're so grateful for that we really are yeah well thank you so much for this conversation um i can't i can't wait to share it with everyone yeah yeah thank you thanks